Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Um, okay, so as we're doing the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, we're, we're kind of running through the entire uh, Word of God. And so um, today I got to choose from, you know, a, a bunch of different uh stories from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, um, around the time that we're reading in the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I, I was trying to decide what I would preach, and I, and I happened upon this little sliver of scripture, this little story that I think has got a ton of, of meaning for you and me today, and it's, it's the story of when Abram and Sarai go to Egypt. It's actually at the very beginning of our, of our picture of Abram. So you start the, the Bible with 12 chapters of kind of just weird, crazy stuff. You know, you've got the creation, and then you've got the, the uh, story of Adam and Eve and, and Cain and Abel, and then you've got um, Noah, and then you've got the Tower of Babel. And then, and then we, and, you know, and then it's got a bajillion, like, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And, and, then, and then we have this story where God has you know, populated this earth, and then he picks one guy, and he goes to Abram, and he says, Abram, I am going to make you into a nation. Your descendants, you won't even be able to count it, like the stars in the sky, like the, like the grains of sand on a seashore. You are not even going to be able to count how many descendants you're going to have. And at the time, I mean, maybe that, like if somebody came to me and said, hey, you're going to have a million descendants, I'll, say, I'll be like, okay, what, what do I care? You know, like that. But at the time, that was an unbelievable promise that he was given. And very shortly after God gives Abram this promise, but part of the promise was, I, I'm going to make you all of this, but you have to leave your land. You have to go. Leave everything you know. And so Abram left and then very quickly, after Abram left, gets the promise and leaves, this is what the book of Genesis says. It says, now there was a famine in the land. Now, okay, hold on right there. There was a famine in the land. That is, that's just like kind of a real quick sentence that describes an absolutely devastating reality. There was a famine in the land, period, or comma, or whatever. There's a famine in the land. Feels like, hey, just a little piece of history. But if you were living it, a famine in the land isn't just a little sentence to write in a book. It was, it was, it was fear every minute. It was desperation. And, and it, it's not only that there wasn't food to eat. What you have to remember is how long ago this was. This wasn't like the Middle Ages, this wasn't even as long ago as Jesus' time. This was 4,000 years ago. This is a lo long time ago. There are no, there, there are, are very few tools. There's very few actual buildings or shelters. You're living, basically, it's mostly the world is populated by nomadic peoples. Just trying to not die. Every day, you wake up, and you work all you've got to just not die, to make it to the next day. That's what life was like. And then there was a famine in the land. And this, so this area that Abram and Sarai lived in, they'd left 
their family. They'd left everything that they knew. They left anything that would have given them stability for the sake of this promise. And all of a sudden, they've got nothing and there is no food. I'm sure the desperation must have just swallowed them whole. So that little sentence in the beginning isn't just, now there was a famine in the land. It was, it was wrapped up in absolute agony. So there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt. Remember, Egypt at the time, they're the advanced society, right? They're the ones who've got things kind of put together. And he goes down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. He was so desperate, he had to leave. The place that he grew up, he had to leave. He had to go to a place where there, was, where there might be food, where he might be able to, to, to survive. I, I think it's so hard for you and me to, um, to grasp what it would feel like to be desperate for survival. I, I don't think, I know for me personally, I've never been there. There's very, few pe- there's very few times in our country where people are desperate. I mean, I've met people who are desperate for survival. I've been to Haiti a bunch. Um, I was just talking to the Haywards. They were just down in Jamaica. I've met a lot of people in Jamaica who are desperate for survival. But, um, man, I, I don't know that we know what we would do, what you and I would be willing to do. If you don't eat, if your kids aren't eating, what, do you will- what, what would you be willing to do? Desperate people can do crazy, desperate things. So Abram and Sarai are desperate, desperate, and they go, they start heading down to Egypt. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he turns to his wife, Sarai, and he says, Hey, baby, I know how hot you are. Right? Listen, I, I, maybe he's, still, he's buttering her up, you know what I mean? Like, hey. I know you live fine, all right? I know you look really, really good. I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, and they will say, this is his wife. Then they're going to kill me, but let you live in order to take you in as their wife. How about we do this? How about we pretend you're my sister? What? Didn't this start with how hot I am? We're going to pretend you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Do you understand this? The point is, he's like, we're going to walk into Egypt. They're going to see how hot you are. They're going to kill me, take you. But if I'm your brother, they're going to treat me well because they're going to hope that they might be able to marry you. And you're, as the, as the brother, I would be the one to make that decision. It's a plan. And when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, Pharaoh, this is the king, right? When Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. Do you understand what that means? It wasn't like, hey, she seems like good company. She was taken into his palace, most likely as part of his harem, for his pleasure. 
He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and male and female servants and camels. Did the plan work? Uh-huh. It totally worked. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. Somehow he figures out, this ain't Abram's sister. I don't know if she spills the beans. I don't know who spills the beans. But somebody does, and he says, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Okay. Very interesting story, I think. Because Abram, Abram was, let's, let's take it from Sarai's perspective for a minute. You have to remember, this, this was thousands of years ago. You don't have to go far back in order to find that women were seen as property. But I'm talking back at this point, Sarai was not a person. She wasn't a person like we would think of a woman as a person. She was much more like property. They're walking to Egypt. Do you think she had much of a say in what was going on? No. I, I, I would suggest, though, because it's possible, even though she wasn't much of a person, there were, there were often um, deep bonds and relationships between husbands and wives. So it's very possible that they had this plan, that they hatched the plan together, that she was in on it. Because the truth is, if you are hungry, if you are starving, if you are desperate, desperate people do crazy, desperate things. And so Abram was willing to trade the virtue of his wife to save his own skin. Abram was willing to trade his wife's virtue to save it. He was desperate enough to save his own skin. I wonder if you have ever been willing to trade virtue for safety. I wonder if you've ever been willing to trade virtue, to trade what was right for the sake of advancement, for the sake of financial gain. Have you ever been willing to honestly know what should have been the right thing and choose what's wrong for your own selfish purposes? I'm going to guess ain't nobody in this place able to say, no, you've never done that. Maybe you didn't pimp out your wife. But you, but you have, tr- we all have traded virtue for safety, virtue for advancement. I wonder, you know, if you, if you stepped into Abram, if, into his shoes when he's in this place in Egypt, when he's living there. Everything has worked. He's being treated well. You, but he's living this lie. Do you, do you wonder what it felt like at night when he went, would go to sleep? Do you wonder if he had that thing in the pit of his stomach knowing when is the other shoe going to drop? Feeling absolute, knowing that his wife is in another man's bed and it's his fault. And he did it on purpose. 
wonder if he, he felt absolutely sick to his stomach every night. I wonder, I wonder how Sarai felt, living, just being swapped around, no control over her own life, over what she can and can't do. I wonder if Abram ever thought back to the promise. You know what I mean? You're living in this place. You're living in Egypt. You got nothing. You got, you're desperate. You're just here to survive. I wonder if he ever thought back to the promise. Remember when God said, leave everything that is familiar and go to a land I will show you? And then you left and everything went terrible. But God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. How the heck is God going to make a nation out of me? My wife is in Pharaoh's bed. I'm living here in Egypt, living a lie. Any minute, the other shoe's going to drop and they're just going to murder me. I wonder what it was like. I wonder if he ever thought. I don't know how that dream is ever going to be fulfilled. God gave me a dream. God gave me this plan, this gigantic mission. And I, I think I probably screwed it up. Have you ever felt like you screwed up God's plan for your life? Like God had this thing that he wanted for you and from you. And you knew it. But man. Life gotten in the way, and you made decisions, and that dream is gone. Maybe you got unexpectedly pregnant. And all of the dreams that you had for what your life was going to look like were completely derailed. Maybe, um, maybe you did something terrible, and the trust in your marriage was broken. And every dream that you had for what your life was going to look like, what your future was going to look like, is completely gone. You thought you knew God's plan for your life, but you screwed it up. Now where are you? Anybody ever felt that before? Maybe you took a gigantic financial risk, and it didn't pay off. And you, thought, you think, I'm never going to get out from under this stupid decision that I made. Here's what I think. This is, this is why I think this story is so powerful. The last four words of the, of the story that we just read are extremely powerful because it gives us hope for those of us who have had a dream, a call from God, and feel like we screwed it up. There are four words at the end that give us hope. And the, four, the last four words are, and everything he had. I know that didn't make any sense. I want you to think about something. Abram comes. He lies to everybody. Pharaoh takes in his wife. God punishes Pharaoh with diseases. Pharaoh figures out what's going on. And he confronts Abram. Most of the time, we would assume what happens next? He's dead. But he doesn't kill Abram. He gives Abram his wife back, and he sends him away. And, he, and so Abram and Sarai left with his wife and everything 
he had. Where did he get everything he had? Pharaoh. From Egypt. There is this amazing truth that this story represents, and that truth is, and it seems so obvious, but it's so hard for us to actually believe that God can redeem anything. Well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the terrible decisions that I've made. God can redeem anything. You don't know how damaged I am on the inside. God can redeem it. God can redeem anything. You see, God didn't, he didn't want Abram to sin. He did not want Abram to pimp his wife out for his own safety. He didn't want any of it, but he used Abram's sin to bring about his plan. Abram must have thought, I've ruined all of it. I made this terrible decision. Here I sit in Egypt with nothing, with nobody, knowing that at any point I can be found out and murdered. But God can redeem anything. I believe this. God doesn't condone your sin, but he will use even your sin to bring about his own purpose for you. He will use even the worst places that you find yourself to bring about his purpose for you. I don't, you know, you've, I'm sure you've met people. People who have struggled with addiction. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, sex addiction, any of the rest of it. People who have struggled with it who come through on the other side and God uses the pain of that to help other people. God can take wherever you are and he can make wherever you, you may feel like you're far off of his plan, like you screwed it up royally, but somehow, some way, God always finds a way to redeem wherever we find ourselves. Maybe you've, um, maybe you got off track because you were obsessed with money, making it, spending it, Loving it. And it could be that God uses all of that. Because he had, he had in mind what he wanted you to do with all of that money that you were obsessed with. And it wasn't for your own personal pleasure that maybe some gigantic kingdom work will happen because you were obsessed with money. God can redeem anything. He can redeem a trust-broken marriage. And he, I've seen it happen before. That an affair in a marriage ends up, after the work that's done afterward, can end up making a marriage work better than it ever had before. Because there's honesty, there's openness, there's connection, there's communication that was never there before. God can redeem anything. When you find yourself in Egypt, far from where God would have taken your life. He doesn't just leave you there. Because there is this thing. I don't know. If you grew up in church, maybe you have this. Maybe it's not even a, a growing up in church thing. But I grew up in church. And um, in my brain, there was, there's like, from when I was a kid, I believed that God had this path laid out for my life. Right? That he knew who I was going to marry, 
And he knew what, where I would go to college. He knew what job I would get. He, would, he knew where I would live. He knew that there was a, a, a pathway from decision to decision that would get me exactly where God wanted me in this life. And it was my job to discern what each one of those turns, what each one of those forks in the road were. It was my job to discern God's will at each fork in the road. And there was a lot of anxiety associated with that when I was, when I was younger. And I remember, I was uh, 23 years old, I think. It was actually 20 years ago right now. Um, 20 years ago right now, I, we, we had just started to go to church at this place called Central Christian Church in Beloit. And we just, we were trying to hide Mandy and I were. We'd come out of church, and we just didn't want anybody to really know much about us and that kind of thing. So we, we just came to church in Beloit to hide, and we were there for a few months. And, um, and then one day, uh, David Clark, who's our lead pastor down there, came and said, you know, I, I want to take you guys out to lunch. And I was like, that's weird. And so he took us out to lunch, and he asked me to come on staff. And, um, and what was crazy is at the time, I had just told my dad, who was a pastor in Denver, that I would be their worship pastor, that we were going to move that summer, um, and I was going to go be the worship pastor down at the church my, my dad was at. And, um, and so when David came to me, there was, it was like we kind of felt this absolute kinship with our church already, you know, with this church. And felt like, man, this would be amazing for God. And so Mandy, Mandy and I were, were really, really torn. Couldn't figure out what to do. And more importantly than being torn, we were nervous. Because here was a fork in the road. This is a, and it's a major fork in the road, right? Either we move to Denver and our life changes dramatically, or we stay here and our life changes dramatically in a different direction. And so we, we knew that, God, that there was one choice that was God's choice, and so we had to discern what it was. I have people come to me all the time. How do I know what God wants me to do? And this was that moment. How do I know? Well, so I remember one day we said, we said you know what? We're going to get away. We found a cheap hotel in the Dells, and we were like, three days. We're just going to pray, and we're going to find out from God what, which direction does he want us to go. We went all the way up there. We did our thing. We prayed together. It was three days. And we were like, okay, God, speak to us. And guess what? He didn't say anything. We were, we were like more confused than ever before. He didn't say a thing. And, I, man, I was racking my brain. And I remember I was talking to David, and I said, um, I was telling him that. I was like, we're just we're waiting for God to say something, but he's just not saying anything. I don't, we don't know what the right thing is. And I don't want to screw it up because if I screw it up, then I'm off of the plan. Do you hear what I'm saying? If I make this wrong decision, then I'm off the course. And so David just said, Eric, I think you need to calm down a little bit. And, you know, I was 23. Um, but I remember David said this. He said, you know, Eric, sometimes I think God lets us choose. I was like, what? That can't be true. He said, here's what I believe. I believe that if you go to Denver, God will bless you there. If you stay here, God will bless you here. I think sometimes he lets us choose. That was like mind-blowing for me. Because in my, in my worldview, there's one right path. And I got to discern that right path or I'm off of it. Um... 
I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe it. I, don't be- I, I, I believe that no matter where we find ourselves, you know, if we, if we make a wrong choice, if we make just a different choice, I believe there are hundreds, thousands, even millions of paths that you or I could have taken to be right in line with where God wants us. Because he's less, he's less worried about that one decision than he is about who we are on the inside. And so, um, you know, if you find yourself like Abram, after making a wrong choice, after being far away from God, after really feeling like you screwed up his plan for your life, here is the reality. No matter where I find myself, I am always under the hand of God. No matter what choices I've made and how far I find myself uh, from that, that one sort of true path, God is always waiting, ready to redeem my stupid choices and put me on a new path. If there was this one up here that you thought was the ultimate path, and you, when I asked you, has anybody screwed up the path that God had? And I saw a lot of these. If you ever feel like that, here's what I know. Wherever you are, there is a brand new path. Wherever you are right now, from this moment, there is always a new path to be right on course with God. No matter how bad you think you screwed it up. And it's not just that it's okay. It's not just that he, he is okay with what happened. It's not just that he forgives it. He will use it. I mean, you think about Abram. Do you realize that Abram could never have been a nation without everything he got from Egypt? Building a nation is expensive. Having a lot of descendants is expensive. He had nothing. He goes and he sins, and in his sin, God uses it to create the the situation in which he was able to build a nation. Do I think that that was God's plan? No, but I do think that God will use anything that he wants to accomplish his plan for your life. And so wherever you are, the band can come up right now because we're going to we're going to close up here, but I just, I just if, you, if you came here today, or maybe not today, maybe it's just sort of this general idea. I think a lot of people feel like, man, I used to have a lot of fire. I used to have a lot of, I used to have a plan for what my life was going to look like for the sake of God. And maybe, maybe you walk in here today and you feel, um, you feel like I really screwed that up. I really tried but man, I, I screwed it up with decisions that I made when I was younger. I screwed, I, the truth is, maybe I screw it up every day when I choose all the stupid stuff that I care about, that I care more about social media than I do about de- devotions with my God. I screw that up all the time. Maybe, maybe you walk in and you feel like you screwed up God's plan for your life. Maybe you live like Abram did with that thing in the pit of your stomach, like, man, I'm never going to figure this out. No matter where you find yourself, there is no one true path. Wherever you are now, there's a new path. If you screw that up, guess what? There's another new path. There's always a new path. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.